from the EPR Creation Studio. This is the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations. They help me develop Show the Safeties. If you are more interested in seeing the whole field, seeing what's actually going on downfield when a quarterback's in the pocket, go to showthesafeties.com, show your support, sign the petition. We got to get ESPN's attention here and get them to shoot the game the way that it should be shot in the HD era. And EPR Creations, of course, the best in the business when it comes to online marketing and website development and all of that. So give them a call. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered Podcast. Information's in the show notes. Okay, so after a bit of a bye week to compose ourselves and uh, break down a little bit more of the Louisville loss and look at where things stand coming into the uh, into the pit game, there's it's going to be an interesting remainder of the season. Let's just say that. I'm, I'm really curious to see what, what we're going to see going forward. Uh, there's a lot of changes that can be made. There's some things that I think are going to have to wait for a while. There are, they're just little things that ideally a bye week helps you fix in terms of fundamentals, pursuit angles, things like that. One of the things I actually want to do, and I'm, I'm planning on putting up on Patreon here shortly is, uh, I want to highlight, I actually was watching the North Carolina versus uh, Virginia game and breaking that game down. And one of the things that I noticed was how well Virginia runs to the football on defense and why that makes such a difference for their defense. And their defense isn't good. They don't have a whole lot of talent. They gave up almost 500 passing yards to North Carolina because North Carolina is really good on the outside and Virginia just doesn't have players. But man, do they run to the football. Man, are their angles really good. And in terms of stopping the run and certain basic stuff like gap discipline and all that, they really they maximize what they can do defensively. And you can see the difference between a team that's been coached in the same system by good defensive coaches for three years now versus what you're seeing at Florida State where those guys up front just aren't good enough in those areas in terms of the discipline and the uh, the the just the effort to get helmets to the football over and over and over again. You see guys just charging at, at the proper angle, charging to the football, even when there's somebody already there. And, and that's something that I want to highlight. Uh, hopefully I can pull a good, a couple of good clips for that and get that out short, uh, shortly. But, um, this, this episode I'm going to do mostly as a question and answer episode, addressing some, uh, burning stuff that has come in from various, various quarters across the internet mostly through Patreon. Of course, if you want to get your questions answered, uh, the easiest way is through Patreon. Sometimes I answer it uh, in just, I respond to the message rather than answering it on, on air. But other times uh, it's, it's good to just go ahead and, and chat through and talk about it on air. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and start. There, there are a lot of questions about Fuller's defense and a lot of things that are going on on the defensive side of the football for Florida State. And I, I want to, I want to focus on that stuff primarily in this episode. So Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and get to it. The first question has to do with basically Fuller's defense and his philosophy in general. So this, this question says as follows. I've been surprised that Fuller's defense is not as aggressive as I expected. That is the only way to use these guys while Norvell can be more methodical on offense and just find various ways to move the chains. So basically... Since you've got some limitations on defense, why not just get way more aggressive and play play that way? Play to try to get a few big plays or to get a loss here and there and 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 play it that way rather than the way that they're doing it. 
And I've, I've seen this from a number of things. I mean, a number of these questions have been asked by more than one person. But this idea that Fuller's defense has not been aggressive, I think, is is misguided. Um, Fuller's defense, and, and I've addressed this multiple times, but this idea that, you know, Fuller's defense isn't as, they don't blitz as much as, say, Jeremy Pruitt did. Actually, if you look at the blitz percentages, they're almost the same. In fact, I think Fuller's a little ahead right now, has blitzed a little bit more. And when you're looking at what they're doing coverage-wise, it's not that there's no aggression. That's not the case. They're, they're being plenty aggressive up front and in terms of what they're asking their players to do. But again, I think when you're watching a game, it's hard to me- it's hard for a lot of people to measure, to, to accurately assess the degree of aggression and risk that a coordinator is putting in place because it, it really boils down in terms of appearance to what you're seeing in the backfield and how much penetration the defensive line is getting and all that. When you go back to the Mickey Andrews days, Mickey almost never blitzed. I mean, there were seasons where Mickey would blitz like twice or three times a game. And that's just because the defensive line did so much damage that he didn't need to blitz. And that makes it really easy for, for, for a coordinator to, to coordinate the defense. Because it looks like you're super aggressive, and they were they were aggressive in their mindset, but they didn't they didn't blitz a bunch. So, so that's one thing. Uh, then, of course, you've got this connected to another thing, which is question of why Fuller didn't have hasn't been using more press coverage. And there are times where I'd like to see a little bit more press as well, but this especially came up after the. Louisville game after a couple of the Atwell long Atwell plays long plays to Tutu Atwell who's so fast and uh, basically there's this idea that well you've got your guy lined up and I saw some people you know saying well you know he's 12 15 yards off the ball you know how are you going to cover Atwell that way well no he wasn't he was seven yards off the ball so uh or you know eight yards off the ball at most. And that's, that's your normal. If you're going to play off, off coverage, it's going to be seven or eight yards off the ball. That, that's just the way it works. Uh, we'll get into that in just a moment, but there, there was a lot of frustration at why they decided to cover Atwell in the slot from off coverage. Why not press that guy? Why not make it difficult for him by getting your hands on him and all of that? Uh, and, and particularly that first play with that I broke down actually on Patreon, that first play where you've got a one-on-one matchup essentially between it's a man free situation. You got a free safety over the top and then you've got Brownlee in the slot against Atwell and he's playing seven yards off the ball. And then you've got Atwell just ultimately sells him. He's got inside leverage. Atwell sells him to come a little bit too far outside, crosses his face, which should never happen against inside leverage. And then it's just to the races. And there was this question of like, why in the world are you asking Brownlee, who's you know more of a press corner, more familiar with playing press coverage? You know, it's more what he did in high school. You know, it's just the mindset of these guys. Why ask him to play off against a guy who's so, clearly so much faster than him in Atwell? Give him the the advantage. I mean, he's a bigger guy. Give him the chance to get his hands on him. Press that guy, and then you've got a chance. So, the the question that kind of puts all this together was the following. Why doesn't Fuller use more press coverage? Asking a guy like Brownlee to cover Atwell from 10 yards off the ball seems like a bad idea. Why not mix up a bit, a little bit of press with sometimes lining up inside the receiver five yards off? 
I think there can be a mixture of that, and sometimes I fail to see it. I see a lot more of seven or more yards off the ball. Okay, so there's a lot going on here. First of all, I'm going to go with the last part. I see a lot more of seven or more yards off the ball. So as I said earlier, if you're going to see off coverage, you're going to see it as at seven or eight yards, and and you're not going to see it at five yards off the ball. And you're going to see. And if you look around the country, watch any other game and and see and count how many times you see a corner or a nickel lined up five yards off the ball. My guess is that if you watch every game, college or pro, if you watch every game on the weekend, my guess is that you'll see that less than five times. And if it happens, it's because somebody screwed up. Because nobody teaches their corners to line up five yards off the ball because it's a huge disadvantage. It's that in-between place. There's a no-man's land when you're, when you're defending because of the way that timing works in routes and because of how long a quarterback is expected to have the football and all of these other things. If you're at five yards, you're, you're in no man's land. And, and the reason for that, so, so one, you, can, you can press, you can be at a yard off basically and press and try to get your hands on a guy or reroute him you know, basically with your leverage. You can press or you can be seven yards off the ball, eight yards off the ball. But you can't be you know, four or five yards off the ball. And the reason for that is essentially if you're in that four or five yard range, you're not close enough to be able to reliably get your hands on the guy, but you're also not far enough away that you're, that you're able to basically use the weave technique or a little bit of a backpedal and sit on your standard stem routes. So if somebody runs a normal hitch route, for example, it's going to be about six yards. Well, if you're lined up at five yards, then that person has broken down that cushion by the time they hit the shortest route they're going to run, which means that you're already having to potentially turn and run. You feel at least that that, that pressure to turn and run by the time that person gets to six yards. You're, you're at five yards. Let's say you backpedal. They're running full speed. You're only at, say, seven yards. They've already broken down your, your cushion, and you're going to have to start popping your hips. You're going to have to start flipping to, to get up the field on the shortest routes that are run. And then you think about the number of routes that are, that break at the nine to 12 yard range. And that's the majority of, of routes that, that, that teams run. So your, your standard intermediate routes are going to break in that area. Your, your standard speed out. The final step for that is usually at about nine yards. The standard square in, you're going to roll that at roughly 11 to 12 yards. Your basic curl route is 12 back to 10. So all of those routes basically break around 10 yards. If you line up at seven or eight yards, basically you can play with your leverage and then weave or pedal with that. And you maintain, you can maintain that leverage without fear of getting run by. And then you can break downhill. Basically, you're only moving about three, four yards and you can break downhill on all those 10 yard routes. And then if a guy is going to run if he runs beyond about the 11, 12 yard mark, then it's a downfield route. And that's when you can turn and run. That's the basic idea. Now, if you press, then you're trying to get your hands on a guy or reroute him. And then you're going to be running with him from the beginning. So that gives you the advantages of potentially getting your hands on a guy, it gives you advantages of, of forcing a guy to declare which route stem he's going to take early on. And, and some of the other things that you get in terms of potentially disrupting the route and you can get that, where, but you're going to have to turn 
and run right away. As soon as that guy gets off the line of scrimmage, you've got to turn and run with him right away. So you've got that disadvantage, but the advantage of potentially getting your hands on him is, is why you, uh, why you press. If you're at the five yard mark, you don't get any of that. You, you don't get your hands on him and you don't get the, the advantage of being able to read the route and, uh, and, and break on the shorter stuff. And that, 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 that read the route part is the other thing when you're seven or eight yards off the line of scrimmage, you're also typically in a read or a match scenario where you're, you, let's say you've got twins to your side. Normally you, you're not going to see just, uh, uh, you're not going to see that outside corner just in press all the time against a twins look to the field, especially. And the reason is, is so many teams are going to use rub routes and, you know, basically picks and all, all sorts of things to get a guy who's pressing in that scenario into a bad situation that most teams are ultimately going to play, say, seven, eight yards off the ball with that guy so that he can read number one's route and number two and the releases of number one and two. And basically he and the player who's over the inside player can swap and play basically a matchup zone that becomes man to man as soon as as soon as those guys declare where their release is going to be. So if both guys release straight up field and the inside guy takes the inside guy, the outside guy takes the outside guy. If they switch and the outside guy runs inside and the out inside guy runs outside, then you, you just have switch switch, right? You, that that gets matched up and this is the way that basically all modern pass coverage works at every level and it's just something, it's the reason that you see teams line up the way that they do. And it's one of the reasons that Fuller has been using the, you know, off, off look of seven, eight yards in those situations. So, and, and Fuller's base defense, by the way, is the same, uh, essentially, it's a little bit different in how they teach it. The same base that Saban runs, it's the same base that, uh, that, Florida State's last defensive coordinator ran. I mean, Michigan State does it a little bit differently, but and and so they they taught it a little bit differently. But this cover seven idea, which is the base coverage for Florida State, where you're going read uh, cover four read on one side and cover four match on the other, that's that's the default, and that's what's the default that that Saban runs. It's the default that that most modern teams are going to base out of now. And part of that is that if you have, especially if you've got a two receiver side, uh, then that two receiver surface is going to have an off corner usually to the field side. And that's just the way that it is. Uh, and it's because you want, you don't want to end up in a position where you've got a guy way out of position just due to a simple release off the line of scrimmage. Now, if we get to the specific stuff on Atwell, the reason that you cover Atwell that way, instead of asking Brownlee to, to press him is on a fourth and or a third and 10 situation. I think it was like third and nine on that kind of situation. Basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to put your guy in a position where Atwell can't just run by him and doesn't have a two way go. So when you line him up at seven yards off the ball and you line him up a yard inside on leverage, you're basically telling him and, and what you coach him to do all week is you can let him go outside as much as he wants, like force him outside, force the quarterback to make that harder throw and then undercut it, but do not let him cross your face. And you're going to just line up a yard inside, protect your leverage. And whatever you do, you're going to let him break down your cushion a little bit, but then protect, protect your inside leverage. And if he wants to cross your face, get your hands on him there. And remember in college, there's no five yard zone. So you can get your hands on a guy at 
10 yards, 12 yards. So when he goes to try to cross your face, you screen him out of there and you're fine and you've got safety help over the top. So if he tries to go over the top, you're fine. Now, if you press him, here's the, tr- the tricky thing. A guy like Atwell, who is so much faster than the guy that you're asking to cover him, that makes it a lot harder on the, on the press guy. So yeah, you say, well, he's so much bigger. Yeah, that's fine. But it's like trying to catch a jackrabbit. I mean, you're, you, you, you just, you're not going to have an easy time getting your hands on Atwell. And especially when he's in the slot, he's got a two-way go. And if he wins off the line of scrimmage, so let's say you play inside leverage and you press him. Well, if Atwell just gives you a little bit of a, of a move to the field and then is able to cross the face on the line of scrimmage, then he's running away even faster. It's a harder thing to do to, to press him than it is to play seven, eight yards off the ball. And that's even if Brownlee is less familiar with playing off the ball, which he's not at this point. So it's just it's one of those things where you say, well, you know, at least you're letting him get his hands on him. That's presuming he gets his hands on him. And I'm not sure against that well that he does that. So what they're trying to do is give him uh, give him the leverage and the position to be able to do that. Now, on Patreon, I explained I don't like the way that they covered that play. And my problem is not lining him up seven yards off the ball. I think that was right. My problem is that they brought six guys, which meant that they didn't have a middle of the field intermediate player, a robber, to sit in the hole there to prevent Atwell, if he did manage to cross Brownlee's face, to prevent Atwell from being from having a free, a free run across the field. I want a guy in that hole area just because I know that guy's so fast. And I think that was a mistake. I think Fuller would probably tell you that that was a, that that was a bad call. And you know he was counting on being able to get pressure and counting on Br- Brownlee to do what he was coached to do and do uh, above all, do not let that guy get inside. That's what he was expecting. But right now they can't count on that. And I, I think it would have been better to keep one guy in the, in the hole there. So the next question though, I think is maybe a better one in terms of thinking about how this all played out. And that is, why isn't 26, why isn't uh, the best corner on the team, that is Asante Samuel Jr., why isn't Asante Samuel traveling with Atwell? If you're running man coverage in that third and long, why not put your best on theirs? Why not do that the entire game? And why is Woody 20 yards past the sticks if they were going to punt if, uh, on that play, if it's, a thir- if it's a third and long? And why didn't, uh, why didn't Green travel? Well, Green didn't travel because... I, well, I, I I don't know. I I think he's I think he's hurt. Uh, last I knew, he was he was dinged up after the North Carolina game. So that that's another question. But I think that's a really good question of why why you don't have if you know Atwell's their best guy by a mile. Why don't you have Asante Samuel Jr. just travel with him? If anytime you're going to run man coverage or anytime you're going to do anything, put your best over their best. I I agree with this. I'm I'm old school on this. To me, I think football gets really overcomplicated a lot. And one thing that football is, is it's just matchups. If my guy's better than your guy at that spot, I'm going to go to that spot until your guy proves to me that he can stop it. And if I've got a guy that I think can stop your guy there, I'm going to use the heck out of that matchup. I'm going to, I'm going to use my guy to stop your guy. And I think coordinators a lot of times and this is not just Fuller, this is coordinators nationwide, 
settle in on, well, you know, that's just not how our, how we're structuring our defense generally. You know, that he's, he's normally our outside corner. We normally put our best corner at out uh, on the outside. But to me, in modern football, you have to be more flexible. You have to say, okay, look, I've got three corners on the field. And there were times they had four corners on the field in this game. But I got three corners on the field, and I need to have this guy travel to make sure that he's going to play against Atwell. And Atwell's going to be on the inside most of the time, so I'm going to just slide him inside, and I'm going to play another outside corner. I, I think that would have been the right move. I think that's the one guy on this team who has the, the, best, uh, the best ability to cover a guy like Atwell. He's not nearly as fast as Atwell. I actually don't think Samuel's going to test out super fast. But he, because of his discipline and positioning, if he had been in the same position as Brownlee, that's an incomplete pass because he, he won't let him cross his face. You see the discipline every time he lines up in terms of making sure his, he's in the correct position and he's going to mirror that correctly and he's going to make sure that that doesn't cross his face. I think that's a really, really good point. Now, as for why Woody is 20 yards past the sticks... Well, that's, that's, a, that's an easier question to answer. I think that's fine. And that's because Atwell is so much faster than the guy he's over the top of, or who's, who's defending him. You don't want him to get over the top. And that's going to allow your underneath guy to play more aggressively at the sticks. So you play that, that guy way deep so that your corners can defend the sticks. That's why you do it. So that if they do throw anything over the top, you're, you've got that free safety who's playing over the top of their fastest guy. And, that, and, and by playing that, that deep... Anything that's thrown with any sort of arc, he can he can come downhill to it, and it's much easier as a, as a safety. So I think that's good coaching. That's fine, but I do think they should have had twenty six traveling across the field with their best and fastest wide receiver. I think that that was a mistake. But again, I, I've I've had a few issues with some of the personnel usage so far this year. Fortunately, from what I understand, I think there's going to be at least one change in the pit game. We'll get to that before the uh, end of the episode. That I, That is something I've been calling for basically from the preseason, even going back to the spring. And that is Jaden Lars would be getting more time, getting specifically time at the star position or the stud position, as they call it. I'm sorry, the stud position uh, where Amari Gaynor has typically been lining up, but basically to be able to play big nickel. And I think that's what they should have been playing all along as their base. Play him at the stud position essentially as a third safety. And then you can, you can do a lot with that. I think he, I think he's a much better player there. I think he's kind of been out of position at that boundary safety position. And I understand he wants to play safety. That's, that's what he identifies as and sort of where he wants to be. I just don't think that's his best position. And I also don't think that would be his position at the next level if he was able to make it to the next level. And again, the injury definitely impacts how well he's his future, his grades and all that for, for the next level. But, you know, if he's going to play at the next level, it's going to be at that Sam type linebacker spot rather than at, at the safety safety position. It's just the, the league is different than it used to be. And, and traditional strong safeties play essentially that Sam linebacker spot now. And that's, that's what he is. And I think that makes the defense a lot better. This segment brought to you by Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. If you have any real estate needs in the greater Jacksonville area, you can't do better than Lewis. Give him a call or an email. Information's in the show notes. Get to the next question, which is also about the defense on in the Louisville game, which is, watch your breakdown on 70-yard run by Louisville, and I have a hard time believing the coaches are not preaching the fundamentals of assignments and gap eye discipline. So this demands the question, as a coaching staff, 
how do you get the message across to these kids? They have to see it on film just like we do, but it doesn't get it doesn't get fixed. And Norvell keeps talking about trusting fundamentals and reverting to old habits. So it tells me they know the issues and are preaching, but it doesn't get across. Is it just waiting on new recruits at this point? So yes and no. Yes and no. It is waiting on new recruits at this point, but it's more than that. And this is one of the things that if you look nationwide, defenses are behind offenses across the country. And one of the reasons for that is you do a lot of the fundamentals work and a lot of the, the things that make you, that help you be better as a defense in the spring. And this is, I'm having the same discussion with North Carolina fans right now. They've got some additional issues in terms of personnel, but like, why is it that the fundamentals here aren't as, aren't as good? Well, you're in a second year with a new defensive coordinator and he didn't have a second spring. What do you expect? And they were not that well coached defensively in those areas with the prior staff. Now, if you take over a place where the defense was really well coached before, you can you can manage to, to do reasonably well. But Florida State has not been well coached on defense for the last couple of years and really can argue going back further than that as well. And it's certainly at at specific positions like linebacker, it's been it's been a minute since they were really well coached. I mean, really, the last time that they were super well coached at the linebacker position was when Charles Kelly was was the linebackers coach in 2013. So, I mean, it's been seven years, really, since Florida State had the level of linebacker coaching that they have right now. But you can't fix all that in a day. And the reason for that is, yeah, they see it on film. And then you say, well, it doesn't get fixed. Well, the reason for that is the only way to fix things is through repetition. It's not a matter of a guy knowing his job. It's not a matter of teaching him how do you or, or getting the message across in terms of assign of fundamentals of assignments and eye gap eye, and gap and eye discipline and all these things. It's not so much a matter of getting the message across and convincing guys to buy in as uh, on some of this stuff as it is. So some of you out there are probably golfers or other other sports where you know you you you've got certain things that are built into memory. If you've ever tried to go through any sort of swing change, you actually have to get out on the range and work on it. And if you don't do that, when you get out on the course, you immediately revert to the old stuff because it takes a while to get into the new patterns. And this is why it's so important that you rep and you rep and you rep and you rep and every rep, especially when you're, when you're taking over a program for the first time, you're taking over a new program, every rep counts. Because you can fix it in the film room all you want. You can say, look, son, you gotta be you gotta be on his back shoulder here. And and specifically, this is talking, and that 70-yard run was due to Dent taking a really bad angle on the backside. Well, you can tell him all you want. Look, you've got to make sure you're running through the upfield the the, the uh, upfield shoulder here. Make sure you're going through that. And you can tell him that over and over again. But it's really hard for a guy who's not repped it over and over and over again and been yelled at and then had to do it again and then repped it and then been yelled at again and then do it again and do it again until you get it right. And then the next day you come back and you do it again until you get it right. And then the next day you come back and it's reinforced by doing it over and over again that finally when the guy is, is rushing there, he doesn't just sniff the cheese and start chasing. He is engaged in what he has been disciplined through constant repetition to do. And what we're seeing, I think, with the Florida State defense is a defense that has not repped enough. And you, you can see this over and over again where they you can see certain fundamentals. It's just this hasn't been repped. 
It's not a matter of it not being pointed out. It's not a matter, not even a matter of a guy not buying in. And it's not a matter of the message not getting across. It's a matter of it not getting worked into the muscle memory, into the eye memory, into the very fiber of the defender to say, oh, here's my job. You know, okay, I'm the rusher here. I've got to, I've, and without even thinking about it, here's the position that I'm going to be in. Because if you're thinking about it, you're still a step slow. But if you're just doing it because that's the way it's been repped a hundred times, a thousand times, then that's when you see defenses take that step forward. And it just takes reps. And they haven't had reps. And that's why when Norvell says they've got to trust their fundamentals and they've, and they, you know, some of these guys are reverting to old habits. Well, what that means is Norvell's saying, look, we just need to get more time to get these guys to, to rep this into them, to change those habits, because that's what they are. They're habits and habits don't just change when you say, well, I don't want to do that anymore because then you find yourself doing it anyway. You're like, oh man, I can't believe I'm doing that. And, and it's because it's a habit. It takes a change in behavior for a long time to, and a conscious change in behavior to rep that out to change a habit. And that's where Florida State is on defense right now. Is they, they are trying to deal with habits that have been ingrained for some of these guys for multiple years because it hadn't been coached out of them when they got to this level to begin with. And most of these guys, you know, coming in from high school. So it's, yes, it's a matter of waiting on new recruits to some degree, but when those new recruits get there, they still need to go through the same process. They still also need to go through and rep enough to work out all the high school out of their system, which is one of the reasons why when you recruit a class, you are not recruiting. So the 2021 recruiting class is not for the 2021 season. Florida State's going to need to get some transfers and JUCOs and so on to fill some some voids in the 2021 season, no doubt. But overall, in general, you the 2021 recruiting class is not for the 2021 season, but the 2023 season. Recruiting classes are for two years from now. So, yeah, they're going to need to get guys in place to, to get that stuff done, but they're also going to have to continue to rep some of this stuff out to make sure that it's worked into the system. It's one of the things that a bye week can really help, by the way, because you can actually work on fundamentals in a bye week. During the season, you don't get much work. You don't get to do all that much work on fundamentals because you're spending so much time just working on game plan and working on installation and working on, on defense. You know, they've got these 16 formations and these four motions that, uh, that they use out of these 16 formations. And here's the calls that we have against it. And I have to make sure that my guys know how to line up. So you spend most of your time in practice working on that stuff and you can't work on the fundamentals during the season. So, I mean, you only get 15 minutes of indie that is individual drills. You only get, you know, 15 minutes of those and you get a little bit of a, of a skelly period or, you know, certain team fundamentals that you can do very little, but you're getting maybe, you know, 25 minutes of fundamentals work, maybe in a good practice, maybe you, you can't fix a whole lot in that. Now you compare that to like the spring where you're doing, you know, full hour, hour and a half of, of fundamentals work in a given practice at different points. And you're not spending all that time working on checks and, you know, what they do, what, you know, if they do this, then we have to do this, all that stuff that you're working on the field during practice in, in the season. So it's a little bit different. All right. This next question brought to you by Shenandoah Newsma, realtor from Carborough, North Carolina with Keller Williams. 
one of the best in the business. She'll out-research everybody. She will make sure that you get in the best possible situation, whether you're the buyer or the seller. For your real estate needs in the research triangle, give Shenandoah a call. Let her know you heard about her from the Unconquered podcast. All right. So next question. Um, would you look at moving Carlos Becker to wide receiver? I know he hasn't dressed out since either the Georgia Tech or Miami game, but once he's healthy, would you look at making this move? He's been hurt for almost his entire five-year FSU career, but I also know he's possibly the fastest guy on the, on the roster minus Wren and with, uh, with Bold no longer on the team. You know, honestly, that's a pretty good idea. And that's not just for this year. I mean, if you're looking at next year, he's a guy that I would potentially look at moving to wide receiver for next year. Now, I don't know how well he catches the football at this stage. But it's something that's, you know, not it's not crazy because, again, you're looking at a really good athlete who's just not going to see the field at defensive back. And that's disappointing because he was a guy that I know some of the guys that I knew in practice when he showed up as a freshman said, this guy's a future NFL player if if everything breaks right. And unfortunately for for that young man, it it didn't. He's been hurt. There's been all sorts of other obstacles. Great kid. Great guy. But, um, you know, if he stays around, if he's around on the roster next year, and since this is a free year, yeah, he's he could get a six year. I'd look, I'd look very seriously at moving him to wide receiver to take advantage of that uh, of that six foot two plus frame and and speed. That's not a bad idea. Wouldn't rule it out, certainly. All right, now we're to the futures part of the of the questions, and I've grouped these together so. We'll go ahead and take a look at some of that. So do you think we play two quarterbacks against Pitt? Maybe somebody else and Travis. So I don't think that they necessarily uh, script that in that, you know, you're going to have Travis play these series and then, you know, have, say, Purdy play two series that are that are planned or that whatever. But I wouldn't be surprised to see two quarterbacks against Pitt. I mean, the way Travis runs, he's he takes a lot of a lot of shots. So and depending on outcome and all of that, it's it's possible that we could see another quarterback. And I think Purdy will be much more ready to play after the after the bye than he was in the Louisville game. And reminder, that 0 for, 0 for 9 was the result of drops, not because he wasn't ready to play. But I do think, you know, we're going to start to see some indications that that uh, they, they want to get Purdy some reps. So I don't think that necessarily happens against Pitt. I certainly don't think that's going to be the aim against Clemson at this point. But I really think you'll start to see more and more of Purdy as the season goes on after Clemson. But uh, but right now they're going to try they're going to try their dangest to win against Pitt. And right now they they believe that the that the guy that gives them the best chance to win continues to be Jordan Travis. And there's good reason for that. He's the guy that that understands the offense the best, and his legs continue to give them a lot of other stuff. And I should mention, by the way, I keep seeing a bunch of people say that they're not running the offense that they want to run. And they, you know, installed a whole, you know, that they, they're running a whole different offense than what they did. I can tell you for a fact that they're not running anything that they didn't install. That, that's not a part of the, the standard install for Mike Norvell's offense. They haven't added anything uh, that, that isn't in Norvell's offense by default. It's just a matter of what they're calling more frequently. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that they can't call right now because they they're limited by the quarterback position and by the poor receiver play. But. The running game stuff. This is not. This is all part of the package. These are part of the default packages in uh, in Norvell's offense. So that's not exactly accurate. You're not normally going to see Norvell run his quarterback that that often. But it's part of the offense. It's it's something that it's an option that he builds into the offense in terms of um, in terms of how they teach it and install it from day one. Just as a well, you know, we may need to run our quarterback here, and if we do, then here's how you call it. And they've got that all built in from day one. <sighs> 
So worth, worth pointing out. All right. Next couple questions. We have five more games on the schedule. Obviously not going to beat Clemson. Out of the Pittsburgh, NC State, Duke, and UVA games, which will be the toughest matchup for FSU, and how about the least? Is it possible to go 4-1 and one in the next five games if certain things are straightened out? Is it possible? Yes. I actually think Florida State could win all four of the other games, Pittsburgh, NC State, Duke, and UVA. Absolutely think it's possible. I think it's exceedingly unlikely. That's the problem. So I think the easiest matchup, the, the least difficult matchup of that group is NC State. And that's because NC State's quarterback is Bailey Hockman. And uh, and the other guy that they're playing now is Ryan Finley's younger brother, who's a freshman. The, both of those guys are statues who really aren't that much of a threat to, to, to hurt you with their legs. And neither is a, is a great thrower at this stage. They just, they're, they're limited on offense. They're not a team that's going to force Florida State to, to, to come back from a big get deficit. And I think they aren't a team that's going to score a bunch of points against FSU's offense or against FSU's defense, which means that FSU can basically run their usual run heavy attack with Jordan Travis and have some success there. So I think NC state's the best matchup followed by Duke. I think Duke is the next easiest game. Uh, again, they've got, they've got a better quarterback in, uh, in, in Durham, but they, but again, not a threat really to run the football. And they've got some, some limitations on in terms of talent, you know, speed and all of that in the back end on and, and in the skill positions on both team on both sides. So, you know, I think I think both of those games, Florida State should win. Duke's going to be a bit more of a fight. Now, Pittsburgh and UVA, those are going to be tough games. Pittsburgh is probably the hardest game left other than Clemson because of how good Pittsburgh's defense is. I mean, this game is going to be and I'll, I'll do the preview later in the week, but this game is going to be really a, a, a war on the line of scrimmage. Pittsburgh's very good, very disciplined. Uh, they run to the football. They're good at stopping the run. And basically, they're going to force Florida State to do some things offensively that they don't do that well. And they've been able to score some points this year as well. So I think this is a tough game for Florida State. We'll see whether certain things are fixed to be able to stop some of Pitt's running game and force them to throw when they're not comfortable, which then might give Florida State a good opportunity to win the game. And UVA is a tough game. UVA is extremely well coached. They do a lot of exotic stuff on offense in terms of moving guys around. And, you know, they'll, they'll be in the T formation, you know, the old school T formation, one play and then spread a uh, spread package in the, uh, on the next play with the same personnel. And uh, they do a lot of really difficult stuff to uh, in the running game. And they're basically doing a lot of what Florida state does in terms of using the quarterback run game and, uh, moving some players around and all of that to manufacture offense with a less talented group, but they're they are physical and defensively they're they're good at stopping the run. They have some serious problems in the back end, but it's not clear Florida State can throw it well enough to give them problems on the back end. So that's going to be another game that you know you can kind of flip a coin. I think that's going to be a tough game for Florida State as well, but it's entirely possible. I could absolutely see Florida State winning all four of those games. I just don't think that that's something I would want to you know parlay in a. Uh, in a betting scenario, it's certainly not what you want to want to see. Final question brought to you by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida. According to Angie's list, if you need to, if you want your garage to be the envy of your neighbors, give Nathan a call. Tell him you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. All right. So final question. Listen to your preseason podcast with seven and four predicted with four losses already and Clemson ahead. Five losses are certain. 
Does that make Pittsburgh the biggest game in season based on the play of the defense this year? What is the reasonable expectation of the last five games? Two and three? Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would say, obviously, the Clemson loss is, is you can pretty much chalk that, you know, put that down in, uh, in pencil, at least. Is the Pittsburgh game the biggest game of the season? You know, I, I've gone back and forth on this. I, I would say, I would say yes with an asterisk. So the reason I would say yes is because this game is the one that comes out of the bye week. And so it's not about the, where Clemson falls or any of that. This is the game that comes out of the bye week. So it ultimately sets the tone for the second half of the season. And you get to see what changes, if any, were made during the bye week. You get to see whether or not they've managed to hang on to the to the team. You know, are the are these guys still bought in, or are they more bought in? Are they going to sell out to actually win games down the stretch? Are they going to play team defense? Are they going to do their jobs? These sorts of things. So yeah, I would say this is this is probably the biggest game remaining for Florida State, and not just because it's the next one. It's because of where it falls relative to the bye week. Because after this game, there's less that you can fix. Once you've, once you've passed through your bye week, you just don't have as many opportunities to make any sort of personnel changes, position changes, work through fundamentals that guys are not getting right. This is where you're, you're going to see the biggest improvement remaining in the season if you're going to see it. So yeah, I would say this is the next biggest game. This is the biggest game left. And that... I'm going to be very interested to see what they do in terms of any sort of uh, adjustments to what they're doing defensively, to where guys are lined up defensively, and also to see what what happens in terms of how prepared certain guys might be on offense. I mean, are they gonna are they going to have Purdy more prepared for later in the year? These are the sorts of things that that bye week basically helps helps settle. So yeah, I think that's the case. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and The Unconquered Podcast Shop, which features stickers, magnets, and other Seminole gear. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. Special thanks to those above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. As well as Jonathan Kennedy and Tyler Kashishki. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this. <laughs>